Good morning again. Orion Samuelson with you for our weekly get-together on the Saturday morning show, and we thank you for joining us as we cover the world of agriculture that keeps on working uh, despite the COVID-19 pandemic because you have to milk cows, you have to feed cattle, you have to feed hogs, you have to feed chickens, and uh, that has to be done Well, in the case of cow milking, two or three times a day. And in the case of making sure that feed is there for the cattle and for the hogs and the chickens, you have to do that at least once a day and uh, maybe more often. So we'll talk about some of those activities and events, but... uh, One of the things that's happening is that we're getting to that season where farmers are going to start being concerned about getting planted. And we will get some reports this month. As a matter of fact, USDA on the last day of the month uh, will issue the planting intentions report. They survey farmers to get an idea of how many acres of corn and soybeans and other crops they're going to plant. And March 31st is when we get that report. And a lot of traders, a lot of producers wait for that report to get an idea. Then we get the confirmation of how many acres we did plant. That comes out in June. But a little bit later this morning, I'll share with you The planting intentions from uh, the private survey done by Allendale, our friends at the brokerage analytical firm based in McHenry, Illinois, they survey farmers, uh, I think, in 30 states uh, between March 2 and March 13, and uh, they released their responses uh, from that survey yesterday, and we'll take another look at that survey today. But as I told uh, Matt, it's a sign of spring, whether there's snow falling or snow on the ground. Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture, is back, and uh, he'll share his first report of the uh, weekly reports that we'll have with you on the Saturday morning show. And uh, Jim will be joining us when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. It may not sound like it listening to the weather forecast. It may not even look like it as some people are getting snow flurries this weekend, but there are two signs that spring is here. Number one, it is on the calendar But even more importantly, Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture, is here for his first visit of the 2020 gardening season. Jim, welcome, and I hope you and Jane are doing fine. We're doing fine, Orion. It's uh, it's not very spring-like out there this morning, is what you're talking, is what you said. But it will be here. And uh, we've had some little glimpses of it. You know, I'm I'm not the groundhog, but I come out like the groundhog when spring is on its way. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, we have uh, we've had some some uh, spurts of spring here. And Jane and I were out and doing our walking this week. We noticed that the maple trees are in bloom. We have a lot of squills in bloom where they're in protected places. We have daffodils that are up in bud, ready to go. So spring's on its way. It's just 
just kind of hovering there waiting for us. In fact, my crocus that I've always watched out there in the front yard and said I'd arrive when the crocuses were in bloom. It's not in bloom, but it's in a cold place and it's kind of wet there. So it'll bloom. It'll be in bloom pretty soon. So we're ready to go. Anyway, winter's probably not done yet. And our good friend Greg Solier has been telling me that we can expect snow in April. Well, we've done that before, too. Yes. Um, but stuff is already up and growing. And, you know, any wintry weather that we do get is not going to hurt things that are already up. If you have bulbs that are already beginning to grow, perennials, that kind of thing, even if we get uh, temperatures that are pretty cold like we're going to get today, uh, they're not going to be hurt. They may get nipped a little bit if it gets down into the 20s, but those little leaves or buds that get nipped are not going to be hurt. Uh, They may turn black, but the rest of the plant is going to continue to grow, so don't worry about it. You don't need to go out and cover anything up to make sure that it's going to survive this little bit of snow that we do get or cold weather that we get. And there are lots of things to do. The gardening season is ready for us. All we have to do is get ready for it. Uh, One of the things we need to do right off the bat, and that's something that we've not talked about very often uh, because we've started later in the season with our first show, Getting things ready means collecting all of your tools, for one thing. Uh, On that first nice spring day when the soil is good enough to work, you want to have the tools ready to go to do that. So you need to collect all your tools and get them into one place so you can inspect them and see what needs to be repaired or even what needs to be replaced. Now, I've got some old, old garden tools that belong to my grandfather down in Litchfield, Illinois, uh, 70 years ago. And uh, he was quite a gardener. In fact, uh, Grandma was quite a gardener down there. But some of these tools I still have. I have a garden hoe, which is getting a little thin, but it still still works. I also have a, a round-tip shovel that still works. But they wouldn't be working if we didn't do some work on them. And one of the things we need to do, first of all, is to clean them all off, uh, get the mud and dirt off that have accumulated over the year, we talk about that in the fall, but, you know, a lot of us are, are tired of gardening by the time the fall rolls around, so we just let this kind of slide. But now you're going to need them, so get them ready. Clean them off. Then sharpen the hole. It does need to be sharpened. You can put it into a vise and sharpen it with a, a hand file. Be careful because if you got it sharp enough, it could cut you if you slip. But when you're using it, if it's good and sharp, it takes a lot less effort, so you're a lot less likely to get hurt doing it. Same thing with spades and shovels. They do need to be sharp. I don't mean they have to be sharp so that you can cut a piece of paper with them, but they do need to be sharpened so that when you push them down into the soil, it doesn't take near as much effort. Uh, another thing that we need to do on many of these tools is to protect them from rusting. If they've begun to rust on you, you need to, to clean them off with a scratch brush or sandpaper if you have nothing else. And then I like to wipe them with a little oily rag, just a little bit of oil on a rag, just enough to put a little coating on the surface of them. And this will keep them from rusting um, uh, during the season as well. Uh, then if you don't have a tool rack, and this is something I finally decided I needed to do because I had the same problem most people have that, you can't find the hole. Where, where did I put it? I leaned it up somewhere, I remember. Anyway, if you have a tool rack and you keep your tools on the tool rack, it makes it a lot easier to find them when you need them. And this can be a simple thing like a board put up in the garage on the wall with a bunch of hooks on it that fit the various tools that you have. Um, it works very nicely. And of course, you can even draw a picture on the wall where a particular tool goes, and then you'll know that if it's missing, there's a spot there, and you need to go look for it until you do need it. Another thing that needs to be done right now, get your lawnmower ready for the season because it may need to be serviced. It probably needs to be sharpened. Now, if you're able to sharpen it yourself, that's fine. You can do that. But if you can't do it yourself, you need to get it into the service 
people, the lawnmower service people, to do it for you. And when you, if you have a rotary mower in particular, those blades need to be balanced. So these repair shops are perfectly capable of doing that. Or you may even need a new a new blade. Uh, sometimes it's a little difficult to get them off, and if you're not mechanically inclined, probably your best bet is to take them to your repair shop, have them do that for you. Now, once you get uh, all your tools ready to go, there are some things that can be done out in the yard. Not suggesting you get out today because there are a couple of things wrong. First of all, it's kind of miserable out even though the sun's supposed to be shining. But the soil is so wet from the amount of moisture that we had, and we haven't had enough time for it to really dry out. It was moist, uh, moistened uh, two or three times this week. We had uh, better than an inch, inch of rain in our rain gauges. So you do need to let it dry out. How do you know when it's dry enough to work? Well, first of all, if you step on it and it's muddy, that's definitely not time to work the soil. Take a handful of the soil, squeeze it into a ball. If it squeezes into a ball but you can crumble it after you've squeezed it, then it's good enough to work. It's down to the right amount of moisture. Now, if it isn't that dry, don't go out and muck your soil up because you'll suffer with that for the rest of the season. If you don't get it to, if you get it out of good condition right now, it takes Mother Nature to get it back, and that takes time. So you need to be careful before you get out into the doing any work in your yard. Make sure the soil is in the right consistency to do it, and preferably do it on a warm day. You know, I go out and work in the garden when it's cold with a coat and hat and almost uh, gloves on it, but that's not enjoyable. We need to be enjoying this. So if you do get a chance to get out there, begin your, your spring cleanup. You need to rake out the accumulated debris, the leaves and trash and so forth that have blown in. We had a lot of wind this winter with not much snow cover, so there's a lot of stuff. Um, you can a- even begin to cut back on things like some of the old perennial stems. They need to be taken way back before the plants begin to grow, preferably, because it's a lot easier to trim before there are new shoots under there, so you can trim down almost to the base of these plants without taking off any new growth. Uh, separate the trash out, put that into the garbage can, and then take this good organic material that you've cra- uh, raked out, and you can use it into the garden. You can put it over the beds in your garden so it can be turned in later, or as last resort, put it in the yard waste recycler so at least it'll be used uh, in the in the recycling plant someplace to make something useful for somebody. Now, there are some other things that can be done, but, you know, we're going to start talking about a lot of things in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I mentioned raking out the garden. You can rake out the lawn as well. Uh, One of the things I like to do at this time of year, particularly since we don't have very much snow and and, uh, have not had a lot of snow, the soils are in pretty good shape and grass is beginning to grow. Time to repair the winter damage where the lawn was scuffed up with the snowblower or the snowplow went by and got off the curb and got your front yard or where there was a ice spot in your yard, in your driveway or your sidewalk, and you had to walk around it into the grass. Where the grass needs to be repaired, this is the time to do it. As soon as the soil can be loosened, you need to, or, or is dry enough, you can loosen it, uh, get it so it can be seeded, or if you really have some large areas, and you kind of, like I am, you're a little bit lazy at this time of year, uh, get some sod from your neighborhood garden center and put it down. If you put it down now or you put seed down now, by the 20th of April, it's going to be up and growing and nice and green. And uh, when Easter gets here, you're going to have green grass out there. It'll look nice for you, and you'll be glad you did it so you can look back and say, yep, got that done on time this year. Anyway, lots more to talk about this spring. We'll be talking about more next week. And I hope that you're enjoying your time. We're all at home. We need to enjoy ourselves at home as best we can for the duration of this uh, peculiar situation that we're in this time of year, this year. 
Well, the nice thing about gardening is you can keep your social distance from other people on the coronavirus situation. This Isn't is something right? you can do alone. Yeah, <laughs> Definitely. In fact, it's more fun gardening by yourself sometimes. Get out there and enjoy nature. <laughs> well, we look forward to many uh, weekly visits with you throughout the year. Good to have you back with us. And, uh, Jim, we'll talk to you again next week. Look forward to it, Orion. Okay, Jim Fazell, he's our specialist in ornamental horticulture who joins us every Saturday here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're at 21 minutes after 5 o'clock. Good morning to you. And uh, winter hasn't left completely yet, but uh, it does show signs of spring. And Jim Fazell is one of those signs of spring. And we look forward to his visits throughout the growing season, throughout the gardening season. But as I mentioned, uh, even though we can't get into the fields yet in a heavy way and a heavy schedule, there are some reports that are due out this spring, and one of those reports that traders and the uh, producers, farmers, will be watching are the Planting Intentions Survey. USDA conducts that survey every March, and then on March 31st, we get that report from the USDA. But ahead of that report, we do hear from some private firms who do their own checking on what farmers are going to be doing and uh, this week we did get the results of the annual survey done by Allendale based in McHenry, Illinois. They survey farmers in 30 states between March 2 and March 13 and on the uh, last day of the month we'll get that planting intentions report. Then we have to wait till June to find out how the intentions played out once producers got into the field. We'll get, uh, at the end of June, we'll get the final report on planted acreage. But let me share with you the Allendale report that came out this week. According to that survey, farmers are expected to plant 94,631,000 acres of corn. That would be above the latest USDA forecast for 94 million acres and would certainly be above the 89.7 million acres that were planted in 2019. And the Allendale survey said farmers will plant 83,740,000 acres of soybeans. That number would come in below the latest USDA forecast for 85 million acres and well below the 76.1 million acres that were planted to soybeans in 2019. Allendale also projected all U.S. wheat plantings at 44,465,000 acres, slightly below the USDA forecast for 45 million and below the 2019 planted acreage of 45.2 million acres. And finally, Allendale estimated U.S. winter wheat acres at 30,914,000 acres, and other spring wheat acreage was seen at 12,441,000 acres. 
Durham plantings at 1,110,000 acres. That would be down 229,000 acres from 2019. So that's what at least one private survey has to say we can look for this spring. And as I said, we will get the USDA planted acreage uh, on the last day of the month. This, uh, as I've talked about on Samuelson Says last week and in conversations with a lot of people, one of the most unusual times for a market reporter like me in decades. I can't remember when we've had these swings from one number to the next in half a minute. But we see that daily now on Wall Street, and we see it daily in some of the grain markets. Although, I do have to say that the agricultural markets have performed better than the equity markets during the past couple of weeks. But I was just looking back at the week ending now at uh, two reports on oil prices. And uh, they're kind of interesting, because one day... I had this headline this week, U.S. oil reverses losses post the largest one-day gain on record. That was the oil market on March 19th. And then the next day, I got this headline on my Reuters computer, Oil falls for fourth week. U.S. crude posts the steepest weekly loss since 1991. And it's been that kind of a market and that kind of a market to report, whether it's oil, whether it's stocks, whether it's grains, or whether it's the livestock futures. Very unusual, the most unusual market reporting I've done in my years of covering the market activity. And uh, the uh, concern, of course, is what about the food supply in the grocery stores? The one thing I, I don't understand, do we not use toilet paper if we don't have coronavirus on the picture? Because the hoarding of uh, ingredients like toilet paper, has I, I found that fascinating. And many of you remember Porter Martin, because uh, Porter, uh, of course, was very active in land sales activity here in Illinois. Well, Porter now lives in Michigan. He's pretty much retired. But uh, he sent me a cartoon that I like because we need things like this during these challenging times. He sent me a cartoon that was titled, Help is on the Way. And it showed St. Bernard rescue dogs that you normally see with a little cask of, uh, of alcohol, of whiskey, uh, tied around their neck. Except this picture, and it was a real picture of dogs. I don't know where uh, uh, Porter found them to get them to pose for the picture. But it was a picture of five dogs and hanging around their necks a roll of toilet paper, which I liked. I like that. But what about food supply at grocery stores? Well, as we said, farmers can't stop producing food, particularly the meat industry. And uh, this week, uh, the CEO of Tyson Foods said the demand for U.S. meat at grocery stores will likely exceed supplies for at least another week. 
as the coronavirus pandemic fuels panic buying among shoppers. Food manufacturers say overall meat supplies are ample to feed the millions of Americans that are hunkered down in their homes, and local governments have closed schools, bars, and restaurants in an escalation of social distancing policies aimed at maintaining the and containing the virus. And he said, once we are able to replenish supplies, which is probably going to take another week or so, then I think that we'll be back in better equilibrium between supply and demand. Noel White is CEO of Tyson, and he later said, in the short term, being a matter of weeks, there are some imbalances that exist. The imbalances are more demand than supply in sectors like retail stores. The total amount of beef, pork, and poultry available in the United States is up about 2 to 3% from last year. Orders for meat from grocery stores were significantly higher than usual through the weekend after demand began to shift away from the restaurants last week. And White said the damage hit very quickly. The order fill rate has improved. It's still not where we would expect it to be. But it will be there. We will have a supply because, as I've said many, many times, farmers can't quit feeding cattle and hogs and they can't quit milking cows. So they'll be producing it. But the other industry that we have to depend on, of course, the trucking industry, to get those supplies from the farm to the grocery stores and supermarkets in cities across the country. Interesting times indeed. We're at the 5.30 mark here on the Saturday morning show, and we thank you for joining us every week for this visit about what to me is our most basic and important industry, producing food, producing clothing, producing energy now, thanks to the ethanol uh, that we're using. But again, the ethanol industry is facing some really challenging times because of the decline in the oil prices. So it's not just one thing. It's many, many things that come together to uh, create some challenging times. Right now, we say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion this week talking about the challenging times that we are experiencing. There is no question we are dealing with events we have never before experienced in our lifetime. And world leaders are searching for solutions to solve the medical and financial challenges we are facing. One thing I know for sure is there are no easy solutions. I also know I have to rely on leaders with far more knowledge on the pandemic than I have and then follow their advice. Like my wife, who said emphatically we are not going to fly our scheduled trip from Chicago to Phoenix on March 18th. And despite my objection, she postponed our trip until June. This in spite of my argument that I have survived SARS, MERS, bird flu, swine fever, 9-11, flesh-eating bacteria in my throat, heart valve replacement, and legs perthes disease that kept me from walking for two years as a teenager. 
No, those arguments fell on deaf ears, and as usual, I lost the argument, and she was right. As a result, I have just experienced a week of the most unusual equity and agriculture market reports on radio TV in my six decades of reporting. Over the years, I have learned that markets do not like uncertainty, and we certainly have an abundance of that at the moment. And I don't know if the old adage, buy the rumors, sell the facts, still applies anymore in the market world. But there is one factor that I know, and I share it with my radio audience in Chicago every day. There is one U.S. industry that cannot and will not shut down, and that is agriculture. Dairy farmers will still milk cows. Cattle producers will still feed cattle. Hog producers still care for their hogs. Poultry producers will still produce eggs. Fruit and vegetable producers will still farm their acres. And because of the nature of their industries, they will do it from home, on the farm, or on the ranch. The biggest challenge they have is labor, getting workers where and when they need them. And we cannot get along without the truck drivers to get the food products to where consumers can buy them. As we have heard time and again, we are all in this together, and we will get out of this together and be stronger for it. My thoughts on Samuelson Says... A presentation of Nexstar Media Group brings us to 25 minutes before 6 o'clock. Nice to have you along here on this Saturday morning. And on my thermometer outside my studio in Huntley, Illinois, the temperature 25 degrees at the moment, but I'm not seeing any snowflakes. Of course, it's still dark, so it's a little tough to see uh, very much beyond the driveway and uh, the street in front of my house. But uh, the uh, concern about people who have jobs that are seasonal or the concern about people in the entertainment industry, in particularly airlines and hotels and restaurants, our daughter is uh, a waitress at a restaurant in Libertyville, Illinois, and uh, she's currently out of work. My grandson, who uh, is working in Columbus, Ohio, is currently out of work. So uh, we do have people who are waiting for Congress to do something to help move the economy forward in these challenging times. And uh, agriculture is no different. Livestock producers particularly urging the Department of Agriculture to let them defer or adjust payments for government loans as the coronavirus hits the already struggling farm economy. The American Farm Bureau Federation's request was made in a letter March 17th outlining a wide swath of concerns ranging from access to farm labor to supply chain worries of the fast-spreading virus. Many U.S. economic sectors have sought federal government relief and are asking for special uh, legislation to get them that relief. But Farm Bureau President uh, Zippy Duvall said, For many livestock producers, the USDA Farm Service Agency loan payments are due now. So can USDA consider temporary relief, such as deferment or loan adjustments, 
to help producers respond to the impact that the pandemic is having on normal marketing and prices. A cattle group, the U.S. Cattlemen, also asked the secretary for a bailout using the same pool of funds the Trump administration tapped for nearly $30 billion in aid related to the U.S.-China trade war last week. In short, funds and programs are needed to ensure that cattle producers and feeders that are experiencing excessive price losses are provided immediate relief, according to a spokesman with the United States Cattlemen's Association. April live cattle futures have dropped 12% this month on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and they're down 25% since the start of the year. Efforts to secure debt assistance for farmers have been growing this week as the fast-spreading virus triggers emergency lockdowns and cash injections unseen since World War II. And late Monday, the Farm Credit Administration said lenders in the government-sponsored farm credit system should begin working with agricultural borrowers, including possibly restructuring debt obligations for those whose operations are being affected by the pandemic. So it's, yes, a challenging time, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about markets as we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. We are going to be talking markets with Mr. Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. Jim, it has been a volatile week, to put it mildly. Let's talk grains right off the bat. We've seen corn selling off to the start of this week. Maybe things are turning around. What's your thoughts here on the corn market? Well, what happened in the corn market this week is the crude oil is the caper. We had the crude oil crash pretty much because the Russians as well as the Saudis are really ramping up production at a time they need to be backing it off with the economy just really put it bluntly cratering at the moment till we get this stimulus. That brought Arbob down to the lowest price pretty much ever. And which then, is unleaded gasoline. Which is un- unleaded gasoline. So what's happened now in the last 24, 48 hours in the grain market specifically, the ethanol industry just got clobbered by this. And as this ethanol industry realized, we're not going to sell gas. One estimate we have suggests we're going to lose about 12% of demand for Arbob in March, 40% in April, 20% in May. What that does, when you calculate that back into potential corn demand, that's about 310 million less bushels of corn being consumed if those estimates are right. So plain and simple, as that kind of made it, that estimate made its way through the system, the market's broke hard. You're seeing bids got pulled out of these ethanol plants. I'm sure you've heard a lot of customers out there right now are realizing their ethanol plants are going to be taking bids, and we're hearing a lot of ethanol plants talking about going down. Do you think this is going to get reflected in the USDA's supply and demand estimates come early April, or will they be a little more hesitant to update those numbers? I believe they're going to have to put some of it in. I mean, I think you can't deny when you just drive around, maybe not in rural America, but you drive around in the, in the suburbia of Chicago, there's just not as much traffic. I mean, people are doing what the government's asking. They are staying home, and that is having an impact on the miles driven, gas, and the ethanol. So, yes, they're going to have to adjust for that, I believe. Well, let's talk soybeans a little bit. We've seen soybeans really be back and forth and back and forth, 10-cent ranges some days. What's it going to take for the soybean market to stabilize? I think what's going to take for the beans to stabilize, plain and simple, is demand. Um, 
you know, we're not, we pretty much shipped all the beans we're going to sell to China as is at this point in time. They have not come back in. They say they're going to come back in. We need that to happen. I'm optimistic they will come back in. It makes sense with this virus. You know, it's affecting everybody, not just us around the world. It makes sense for the Chinese to buy from everybody in case one of the legit, one of these chains kind of gets tied up and they shut down a port or something due to the virus. So that combined with the phase one deal that they cut with Trump, I do think they'll make a good faith effort to buy into it. So if we can get a stabilization of it, it will help. The one thing that's hurting the beans also right now is the currency. The U.S. dollar is exploding higher as the risk-off mentality sweeps the earth. On the same time, the Brazilian currency continues to drop. So that's keeping us un... We're not competitively priced at the moment. But like I said, I think China's going to start saying, hey, look, we got to diversify our supply chains. Let's buy some U.S. beans. Well, we'll be back to talk more markets with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. We're back with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. Jim, you were talking about the dollar when we jumped off in that last segment. The dollar has been ripping. It's been climbing like crazy. What is driving that right now? Right now, that's just pretty much as everyone's liquidating on a mass margin call. You had a lot of sovereign wealth funds were long everything, and they're just trying to go to cash. Until we find out how bad this virus is and what it's actually going to do to the world's economy, Cash seems to be where it wants to be, and right now that's forcing the dollar up, which has a negative impact on the U.S. exporter because it makes our products more expensive. It does, and one of the places we have seen product get more expensive or at least stay competitively priced is retail beef prices. That hasn't necessarily transitioned down to the producer. Talk a little bit about what's happening in the meat markets right now on the beef side. Well, right now on the beef side, plain and simple, if you just go to any grocery store, they've been cleaned out. We've had a change with this stay-at-home, trying to control the virus. Everyone's kind of a little bit of panic, a little bit of just, I want to start buying it. So that is just cleaned out. So what's happened is the Packers are making an absolute killing. That is the reality. It's not being passed on to the feeder, unfortunately. The Packers are making four or $500 a head. Now, it's nice. The futures are trading around, 100, uh, or around 90, 95 cents. The cash is around 110. I would like to hope that maybe the Packers will pay a little bit more. Mm. The fact of the matter is the country is going through a lot. We're asking a lot of the country to protect some of the vulnerable right now. So the hope would be that maybe these packers will pay up because the beef industry, the cattle guy specifically, he is getting beating up. He is losing money. There's a lot of profit to be passed along, so hopefully that will come down the line. How long do you think it will take before the packer has to pay up? Well, that's going to be interesting. I mean, the real dynamic is what happens now in this beef industry, as well as pork and chicken. As the consumer kind of fills up his his freezer, the question is, will he back off again? The fact of the matter is we just don't know. We're a little bit dynamic, new dynamics. You know, we're kind of set up for a lot of people to go out to eat. They're no longer going out to eat. So some of that supply chain that used to go to the retail or go to the Restaurants. Restaurants are now coming into the retail sector, so it's going to take a little bit of time. I want to stress, there's not going to be a shortage of food out there. There is plenty of cattle, there's plenty of pork. It's just a matter of keeping stuff in stock, plain and simple. We're just not used to people buying as much protein as they are right now. We've been waiting for China to step in and buy a lot more pork. We've seen pork get a lot more affordable for the Chinese, despite the rise in the dollar. When are they going to step in and make those purchases, or will they? I think they will. I mean, part of the problem is they had massive logistics issues. The fact of the matter is this virus, they're a couple, you know, they're a month, month and a half in front of us. They've kind of ramped down. They're not getting new cases, which is great. Hopefully that's where we're at in a couple weeks and months. As they start getting their logistics working, I think they'll come in and buy the pork. The fact of the matter is they've emptied their, their freezers to keep their people fed. The fe- and I believe they're going to have to come in and buy. They want to restock that. I mean, the reality is this, folks. There's a very good shot 
that this virus is going to die down in the summer and come back into the winter. That's what happened in the Spanish flu. If you're the Chinese, I think you want to make sure you have those restocked. God forbid we've going to have to go through this a second time around. So I think you will see that demand come in over the next six months, and that will be good for the producer. Fantastic. We'll have to keep an eye on it. Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. And at 11 minutes before 6 o'clock, we're back, and they talked a little bit about China buying. And guess what? We did see some China buying this week. As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday, China bought 756,000 tons of corn for delivery during the current marketing year. And they purchased uh, 340,000 tons of hard red winter wheat. And that's for delivery in the next marketing year. And yesterday they bought 110,000 tons of soybeans. Well, we don't know for sure if China did because the uh, term unknown destinations is used on that. But we've learned over the years that uh, when it's an unknown destination, it generally is China. So it's not the type of buying that we uh, would normally expect, but uh, it is the... uh, uh, improvement over what we have seen in the way of Chinese activity to buy U.S. products. Still hearing from our trade uh, people that uh, they think, despite the coronavirus situation, China will fulfill its uh, intentions to buy U.S. agricultural products, and so we'll keep an eye on that. And, of course, with the shutting down of many uh, stores and businesses and work from home and all of that, that has impacted uh, the uh, services for agriculture. And uh, twice this week I heard from Compere Financial. Compere Financial has uh, 42 operations in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Illinois. These are offices to uh, provide financial uh, services and needs to producers who this time of the year are making sure they have the credit to purchase what they're going to need for their planting season and for their inputs. So I've heard from the folks at Compere Financial twice And uh, they're asking me to repeat this because apparently a lot of customers for Compere Financial still a little uh, confused. But this is the latest. As of Wednesday, March 18th, the Compere Financial offices moved to virtual service via phone and online, temporarily closing all offices effective on the 18th of March. CEO Rod Hebring said, we are taking this proactive step amid concerns about the virus with the health and the well-being of our clients, our team members, and the communities we serve as a top priority. And Compere Financial Services remains open for business. Their team members are maintaining business as usual, working from home and utilizing technology and phone calls to serve their clients. So, again, I'll repeat, and apparently there was some confusion on this, according to the folks at Compere who got in touch with me. I will repeat that 
The offices are closed, but the phones are working and the computers are working. And so if you need to do business on your financial needs in agriculture with the folks at Compere Financial, uh, you can still get in touch with them. But they will, uh, you'll have to do it by technology rather than in person. The offices will remain closed through Tuesday, March 31st, at which point the organization will reevaluate the situation and they will closely follow CDC recommendations and guidelines. So keep that in mind if you need to. Use the services of the folks at Compere Financial. It's interesting, too, we're uh, a few months away from World Dairy Expo, but even World Dairy Expo sent me a note uh, this week. That's the annual dairy show, the biggest in the world, that's conducted up in Madison, Wisconsin. And World Dairy Expo sent me this announcement. It's actively monitoring the ongoing public health risks associated with COVID-19. Live events like Expo are in a particularly fluid state with some future events continuing as planned and others being facing cancellation or postponement. But at this time, World Dairy Expo is moving ahead with plans for World Dairy Expo 2020 and has no intention of canceling or postponing the show. However, the health, well-being, and safety of exhibitors, attendees, and volunteers are of the utmost importance and will guide their future decision-making. The Board of Directors and the staff of World Dairy Expo will continue to monitor this ongoing global situation and will weigh all options for the 2020 show. Information provided by public health officials, healthcare professionals, and industry experts will drive decisions in the months ahead. But for now, all of the activities at World Dairy Expo in October are on schedule because uh, the dates this year are September 29 through October 3rd, and I'm sure that all of us hope that we're through this unusual event well before that. Also, a statement by Rich Giebert, who is president of the Illinois Farm Bureau, uh, regarding the uh, shelter-in-place order for the agricultural industry. Uh, Rich Giebert had this to say, Illinois Farm Bureau recognizes the importance of limiting the spread of the pandemic. At the same time, we appreciate the recognition of the vital need for farmers and agribusinesses to operate, to be able to provide the food and fuel consumers depend on. So Illinois Farm Bureau is extremely appreciative of the open lines of communication with the Illinois Governor Pritzker and the Illinois Department of Agriculture Acting Director Costello during these historical times. And uh, Rich said, recognizing the agriculture industry as an essential service demonstrates the important role Illinois farmers have in feeding our neighbors across the country. So uh, they're continuing to do the work, as I've said, just about every day this week. 
They can't quit feeding livestock and milking cows. And the other interesting thing is the labor situation that a lot of these processing plants are facing, particularly in the meat industry. They depend a good deal on while you're out there. labor good to advice. work on the uh, situation. So uh, we'll continue to monitor that and uh, hope that we get this thing behind us sooner than later. As we look at the closing markets, uh, tell you what, we'll do that right after this time out when we continue on the Saturday morning show. We are a minute away from news time, but a quick look at where we ended the week yesterday in agricultural commodities. Uh, Corn closed lower, but uh, we saw wheat futures go up yesterday, supported by a pickup in overseas demand. And at the end of the trading session in the grain market, which really has done better than the stock market this week, the um, May wheat contract was up five cents a bushel yesterday. May corn ended the day down two and three quarters. And May soybeans ended with a gain of 20 cents a bushel yesterday. And uh, when we take a look at livestock futures at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Hog and cattle futures did move higher on cash strength, and at the end of the day, lean hogs were up a dollar sixty-five cents a hundredweight, and cattle also moved higher. As always, our thanks to uh, Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering work for us. Our thanks to you, and we look for you again a week from now on the Saturday morning show.